Run the Army's race in person at the Pentagon. Army 10-Miler General Registration is now open. Go to Army10Miler.com to register today. General Registration presented by General Dynamics. Register today at Army10Miler.com. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Carving It Up Live right here on Twitter, as well as the Carving It Up YouTube channel and the Grid Network YouTube channel. As always, I am Bryson Carver. Very excited to be here on this Wednesday afternoon, uh, if you're on the West Coast and evening here, or I'm out on the East Coast. And uh, as you can see, at least, at least if you're watching on YouTube and Twitter, I got my terrible towel wrapped around my neck. Not going to wave it around because I got, like, shelves behind me, and I don't want to do it with my left hand because I, I can't do much of anything with my left hand, but it is what it is. I'm not ambidextrous, okay? I'm not, I'm not, I, I can't do everything. We've got a loaded show today. Obviously going to talk about my Steelers getting a <laughs> massive W on Monday Night Football against the Cleveland Browns. Also talk about Cleveland, in particular Deshaun Watson. And um, Browns made their bed. They're going to lie in it, and I'm loving it. I'll get into that in the second segment. Also, carving up the context is back on a Wednesday in a revolve around the the NBA's new 65 game rule and not the 65 game rule I apologize the the uh the new rest rule, the low management rules that they instituted just last week. I gotta admit to y'all, if the goal by the NBA, by Adam Silver, by everybody involved, is to make NBA players play more games and to reduce load management, they failed miserably through this rule. I'll get to that in carving up the context in about a half hour. Also, Bryson's best 10. We're going into week three this NFL season. It's already flown by. I know it's only been two weeks. Got a long season to go, but it's already flown by. My top 10 teams in the NFL. So where are team? They're obviously going to be some new additions because, uh, you know, spoiler alert, the Cincinnati Bengals are not in it. They were barely in it last week, given that uh, a second straight uh, atrocious offensive performance uh, through most of that game against Baltimore. They're not in it. So some new additions. And of course, at the top, teams like San Francisco, Dallas, um, uh, Miami, like where do these teams shake out? I'll get to that. And of course, at the end of tonight's show, predictions for tomorrow night's matchup between the San Francisco 49ers and the New York Giants on Thursday night football. Both teams, by the way, dealing with uh, quite a few injuries. So, uh, you know, definitely could, could be closer than, than some might anticipate, but I'll predict that at the end of the show. But first, my Pittsburgh Steelers got a, <laughs> got a big one, folks. Beat the Cleveland Browns 26-22. to uh, and it still feels weird to say Acrisure Stadium. It should still be Heinz Field, but whatever. Got the W against the Cleveland Browns 26-22. It was led by, unquestionably, the defense. Uh, T.J. Watt was spectacular, had a sack, had a fumble recovered for a touchdown. T.J. also, by the way, became the Steelers' all-time sack leader. Alex Highsmith had a massive game. He had a pick six on the first play from scrimmage to get the scoring started and was the one who forced the fumble for T.J. Watt to pick it up and return to the end zone uh, for what ended up essentially being the game when he touched down with about five minutes and change to go. So, initial takeaways from Pittsburgh, this shows me at least one of two things, I guess we'll find out as time goes on, that either last week against San Francisco defensively was a complete fluke, or San Francisco is just ridiculously good offensively. And some of this, of course, Pittsburgh's uh, defensive, you know, uh, great their great performance on the defensive side of the football is due to, in part due to the fact that Cleveland's offense is... Uh, well, it leaves a lot to be desired given the quarterback play. Again, more on Deshaun in the second segment. But when you have a guy in T.J. Watt who I believe by the 
slightest of margins, and it's a, of course, it's a legitimate argument, by the slightest of margins is the best defensive player in football over Micah Parsons. Personally, I think it's those two guys, and it's everybody else with respect to Bosa, Miles Garrett, Sauce Guard, everybody in the NFL. Fred Warner, they're not in the class, the same class as these two guys. These guys literally can change outcomes of games sometimes, and that's exactly what TJ Watt did uh, with that touchdown there at the end. So, Pittsburgh's defense, it's a Mike Tomlin-led defense. It was Monday Night Football. Crowd was amped. It was awesome. I, I, I expect them to, to kind of bounce back from that performance. I had them holding Cleveland to, to 22, so I ended up being dead on the money on that one. I said uh, uh, that Pittsburgh would win 24-22, to 22, so spawn-on accurate about the Cleveland Browns. But, again... There is jubilation and victory, as there should be. It's the NFL. Every win that you get, I don't care who you're playing, is hard. Some mean more than others, of course, whether it's a rivalry game, whether you upset somebody, whether if you're a contender, you're playing a team that's also contending, kind of like a like a, a prove-it-to-yourself and prove-it-to-the-league type of situation there. Pittsburgh, in this type of, uh, of deal, was playing a division rival, got the job done, led by the defense. But I still come back to, and you have to find... You gotta find good aspects of losses and bad aspects to wins. Not saying there's there's good losses or bad wins because I don't believe in either. However, you gotta look at the, the you know not necessarily the tape or, or what have you, but look at what got you to this point. This Pittsburgh Steelers offense, ladies and gentlemen, is truly atrocious. Not the offensive personnel, although the offensive line leaves some to be desired. But I I knew that going into the season. Kenny Pickett did miss some throws. That, that, that pick that he threw uh, to the nickel corner first quarter was as bad of a pick as I've seen this NFL season. Just ter- not, not as bad as the ones Josh Allen threw last week, but just a bad pick. Just flat out didn't see the guy right there. Uh, and, and Cleveland ended up getting, uh, I think Cleveland ended up getting points of drive. I don't, I don't, actually, I don't think they did now that I think about it. The point is, Pickett didn't, uh, uh, Kenny Pickett didn't play terribly well. But this all stems back to one individual, and it's 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 driving me crazy to continue to have to say this. Matt Canada's not the guy in Pittsburgh. He's not. One could say, well, come on, Bryson. He's playing the San Francisco 49ers defense, which has pro bowlers everywhere. And the Cleveland Browns defense, which has Miles Garrett and that has Zadarius Smith, has all kinds of playmakers on their defense. So I wasn't aware, apparently, that that's the only two teams the Pittsburgh Steelers have ever played with Matt Canada off to coordinator. Let's look at the stats here real quick because I think they tell the story. Matt Canada took over as the Steelers' OC in 2021 through 37 games. Here's what the Steelers rank on offense. They are 26th in points per game, 26th in yards per game, 31st in yards per play, 29th in big plays, 31st in offensive touchdowns, 10. They finally got a 20-point game in regulation, but that was because of the freaking defense getting two touchdowns, so I should almost put an asterisk next to that one. Two 20-point games in regulations. I'm sorry, 10 20-point games in regulation. Two 30-point games in regulation. And zero 40, uh, sorry, 400-yard games. Every other team in the NFL, every other team, has a minimum of, of three 400-yard games since the start of the 2021 season. Pittsburgh has yet to have their first. It is not a talent problem in Pittsburgh. Listen, I don't know if Kenny Pickett's the guy. Liked him. I said coming into the season, I thought he could have a breakout year, have about 28 touchdown passes, have a pass ring in like the mid-90s, have a really good season, help Pittsburgh get to the playoffs with the help, obviously, of that incredible defense. Probably won't be that good, albeit we're two games in and anything can happen. But am I supposed to believe that Kenny Pickett, who finished last season very well, had a big-time game against these same Cleveland Browns in Week 18 in Pittsburgh? Are you supposed to tell me that a guy who's a first-round pick, finished the year great, 
is all of a sudden terrible. Like, I have a hard time believing the guy just went, he's just no good. Same coaching staff, and he's just terrible. No, he's not being developed. That's the difference between Kenny Pickett and Brock Purdy, albeit I like Purdy more, always have. But Brock Purdy's got Kyle Shanahan. Forget the weapons, because Kenny Pickett's got weapons. It's the coaching that's the difference. Kyle Shanahan is a brilliant offensive head coach, particularly in the running game, but also in terms of the fact that it feels like every quarterback that's there succeeds in Kyle Shanahan's system. Any competent quarterback, at the very least. Kenny Pickett's competent. He's, he's, he's yet to show us signs that he's just awful, just you can't play him. I mean, he's no like, no, not to throw any shade to anybody, but not, you know, Nathan Peter, remember that start he made all those years ago for, for the Buffalo Bills? And it was like, God, he threw like five picks in the first half. Like, okay, this, 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 this guy's not, not the man. That's not the case with Kenny Pickett. He's a solid arm. He's accurate, although that, that could improve, but he's, he's mobile. You saw the one play he made to George Pickens, stood in the pocket, made a tough throw, took a big hit. George Pickens took that 71 yards to the house. Again, speaking of George uh, uh, Pickens, you got George Pickens, you got Najee Harris, you got Jalen Warren who made some plays uh, on, on Monday Night Football. You got that one kid, um, Austin, who's really shifty, nice player. Deontay Johnson's out due to injury when he comes back. He's he's a big-time playmaker for you. I remember once he had a three-touchdown game. You have Pat Fryermeath. You have the tight end, Washington, who you drafted out of Georgia. Offensive line isn't great, but that can be fixed. You can address that next offseason. Maybe even at the trade deadline. Pittsburgh's offense isn't devoid of talent. It's not like uh, they're, oh, they're, New, they're New England, where it's kind of a bear cover. They got Zeke and Juju Smith. Not a lot to work with. No, they've got Pro Bowl caliber players. Najee Harris is a thousand yard back. George Pickens has the all the potential in the world from a physical standpoint to be a top 10 receiver, albeit top, you know, dare I say top five receiver in the NFL. The problem is not the weapons. You could say, is it the quarterback? Maybe, but let's see once he gets some actual offensive coaching. If Mike Tomlin does, in fact, replace Matt Canada, which I hope and pray he does, and Kenny and he gets an upgrade and Kenny Pickett still struggles, then it's a different conversation. Then it's probably the quarterback. And then he move on. And Pittsburgh is one of the most well-run organizations of the league, whether they trade for a quarterback, whether they pick one up in the draft. I mean, they've obviously had their their well their their fair share of successes at uh, you know successful guys at that position. You could replace Kenny Pickett if he's not the guy. But let's be one. It's kind of what I talked about with Dak. That if you're not sure he's the guy in Dallas, put some some good weapons around him. And Dallas, to a certain extent, kind of did that. The issue isn't the weapons in Pittsburgh; it's the play calling. I mean, what is? Here's my question, folks. What is that play call? Third down and one. I want to make sure I'm getting this right because the, the Pittsburgh got the ball back. So obviously Steelers, TJ Watt got that touchdown off the fumble recovery. And then Pittsburgh forced a five and out for Cleveland. So if Cleveland punted, Pittsburgh's got the ball. How much time's left? Four minutes, 37 seconds. Cleveland only has two timeouts. And Pittsburgh's at their own 25. So they're in a great position, a lot of field to work with to really burn some clock, make Cleveland take their timeouts. If you don't burn, burn all the clock, maybe you give Cleveland the ball with, what, a minute left, maybe less, 30 seconds-ish. Here we go. Handoff Najee Harris, one yard. Handoff to Jalen Warren. He gets eight yards. Okay, so you got a third and short type of situation. They run an option play with Kenny Pickett on third down one. Not just any option play, ladies and gentlemen. A long, developing option play on third down and one. What are you doing? What is the objective? What are you hoping to accomplish given the fact that you know Cleveland's going to stack the box. Cleveland's going to have guys who account for, for your running backs. They're going to have guys to account for Kenny Pickett who we know can move. 
It's a predictable play call. It, it completely lacks creativity, and it completely lacks this, you know, situational awareness. And so that's, as a new Steelers fan, and it's great to for my first win as a Steelers fan to come against Cleveland of all cities. It's beautiful. More on the Browns in a moment. It's frustrating to watch because everybody in America knows how good Pittsburgh's defense is. That We don't even have to talk about that. TJ's a monster. Alex Heitsmith is amazing. They gave him a contract uh, You know, this offseason. Well-deserved. They've got great interior linemen. Cam Hayward will be back eventually. Good linebackers. With Minka Fitzpatrick, Fitzpatrick healthy, you got a good secondary, albeit Fitzpatrick might be out for a little bit. Joey Porter made some plays the other night. P- Pittsburgh's defense is stacked. We, we knew that. Top three-level defense potentially going into the season. Offensively, this is part of the reason I had them winning 11 games and winning a playoff game. George Pickens is a monster. We see that time and time and time again if you can just get the ball in his hands. Najee Harris, 1,000-yard back. Jalen Warren, explosive. The kid Austin, the wide receiver, explosive. Pat Fryermuth, good possession tight end. Like, aside from offensive line and maybe quarterback, again, I haven't seen enough to really know. Play calling's the issue. Again, we'll put this up one more time, put this graphic up one more time, then we'll move on. But here's the Steelers offensively under Matt Canada through 37 games. 26th in points per game, 26th in yards per game, 31st in yards per play, 29th in big plays, 31st in offensive touchdowns. Uh, Only 10 20-point games in regulation. This past game was the 10th, but that's because of the defense scoring two touchdowns. Two 30-point games in regulation and not a single 400-yard game through uh, you know, a little over two years of Matt Canada and every other team in the NFL has had at least three. He's not the guy. So it is, man, it, it's frustrating to watch. I'm not going to lie to you. It is really frustrating to watch uh, seeing this, the, uh, this offensive talent just completely go to waste. I love Mike Tomlin. Love Mike Tomlin. It's part of the reason I became a Steelers fan is because of my respect for the fact that, obviously, the man has never had a losing season. God bless him. He's done a, a marvelous job in Pittsburgh. He's a first-bout Hall of Fame head coach. But at what point is he going to look at this this offense? You know, again, Mike Tomlin's a defensive coach, so he's going to specialize in defense. That he has, <laughs> you know, special that defense is, as Yoda would say, right? He can't not see the offense, see the issues there, be like, yeah, that you know what, that works. I mean, it was so bad that in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, you had one of the most respected. I don't use this word much, but classiest fan bases in American sports. The Nick Chubb injury, which was gutting. It was awful. Nick Chubb's being carted off the field. Pittsburgh fans are chanting, Chubb, Chubb, Chubb. Like, like cheering them on. Like, man, we're so, we're, we don't like your team. We're rooting against you, you know, when you're playing. But, man, we don't ever want to see you go down, especially with the severity of the injury. Like, God bless you. We're rooting for you. That fan base... With the, after the aforementioned Kenny Pickett uh, option play, the whole stadium's chanting, Fire Canada! Fire Canada! Pittsburgh, not Philadelphia, who's booing after one half de- you know, decent first quarter. I, it, it's, I don't know what Pittsburgh has seen, just for stability purposes, but sometimes, and that's why I love Pittsburgh, is because there's, there's so much stability and there's such a great culture. But sometimes having, I shouldn't say too much stability, too much loyalty can cost you. I mean, look what we're seeing with Portland and Damian Lillard. Damian Lillard waited all this time, waited 11 years. Hey, Portland's going to get it right. No, they're not. Portland doesn't have the assets to put together a championship team. Dame, leave. You don't have to be loyal. 
And finally, Dame saw the light and was like, you know what, I probably can't win here. And there's obviously complications regarding his potential trade to Miami or whoever else is going to trade for him, but you get the point. Loyalty's great to a fault. Pittsburgh, at least I hope, I shouldn't say Pittsburgh, the Steelers organization, hopefully, will be coming to that conclusion relatively soon. Now, um, something else too, and then we'll move on to Cleveland. Obviously, feel free to chime in the comments section. Pittsburgh's next two games are against the Las Vegas Raiders and the Houston Texans. So Vegas's defense is awful, has been for, let's see, forever, <laughs> for the last decade. And Houston, while, re while you know, improving, is still rebuilding, and Pittsburgh's a four-point road favorite. If this offense struggles against either or, God forbid, both, I don't know how Matt Canada keeps his job going into the Baltimore game in Week 5. I, I, I don't. So this isn't, I'm not just the, oh, if it's not going wrong, fire the coach. Or if it's not going well, fire the coach. But we have a, a, a large sample size, 37 games. Think of all the crazy stuff that's happened in the NFL and in the world in the last two years, basically. No, nothing, nothing's changed. Steelers' offense is bad. Steelers' offense play calling, rather, is bad. They have the playmakers. They just don't utilize them. That's the frustrating part as a Steelers fan. I'm not going to lie to you. Brand new Steelers fan, but I'll be a Steelers fan. By the way, let me check something super fast on um, on YouTube because obviously the show's live on YouTube and on Twitter. Okay, looky there. Okay, that is awesome. Okay, so we have some. Do we have the the, the graphic here about the the breaking news? I think we have some breaking news uh, right now in carving it up live. The breaking news is the fact that carving up live has reached two. 150 subscribers, so shout out to all the awesome people out there who have taken, as I always say, two seconds out of their day to hit that big red subscribe button. We have just surpassed, I mean minutes ago, 250, or not surpassed, we've gotten to 250 subscribers, so shout out to everybody out there who's who's clicked that big red subscribe button, um, has helped this channel grow, has supported the show, has commented, who has uh, supported our content on on Instagram, on TikTok, on YouTube, elsewhere. Uh, very, very, you know, blessed and privileged to 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 have an incredible audience to who, who's watched this show ever since I made it carving it up live about two and a half years ago. So um, thank you to everybody out there who's who's subscribed. Um, yeah, definitely very exciting. As as some of you may know, uh, coming into this NFL season, I set a goal to to get to 1,000 subscribers by Super Bowl 58, which is February 11th. So we've got about what about three or five, four and a half months ish to get to that point. So very exciting. Thank you so much for for subscribing. Hopefully, we can get to that 1,000 uh, that 1K by by that date. So that's that that, that that's really dope. So thank you to everybody who has uh, taken two seconds out of their day and hit that bigger subscribe button. 250 subscribers. To carving it up, very, very excited. Very. Oh, whoops! I just showed you my. <laughs> I just showed you for a half second my Giants uh, Niners pick. Uh, hopefully, y'all didn't see that, but maybe you did. It's it's okay. But I'll, I'll if you did, I'll I'll tell you why I, I gave that prediction later. Philip Chanel to the comments. What's up, Philip? He says that's always been Pittsburgh's culture, though. Great defenses and meh to good offenses, kind of like the Ravens or Bears. That's what I view the Steelers as an organization. You're correct, Philip. But what I would say is. It's 2023, and you mentioned Baltimore. Baltimore's, like you mentioned, great defenses, offenses, but Baltimore's pivoted. 
Baltimore has said, okay, we've got our, our superstar quarterback in Lamar. He's our guy. We paid him as such. Let's give him OBJ. Let's give him Zay Flowers. Let's give him Mark Andrews. Let's give him, most importantly, I would argue, Todd Munkin. Offensive coordinator from Georgia, very well-respected guy. I mean, made Stetson Bennett a Heisman finalist. That's how good an OC he is. They they bought into the offense, spent money on offense, drafted offense. Pittsburgh's done that. They just haven't put the final piece of the puzzle together, which or I should say the final piece, one of the major pieces of the puzzle, which is a new OC. They do need to upgrade the offensive line, but that can be done through the draft. Pittsburgh's a great drafting team. By the way, they, they addressed the offensive line to, to a certain extent uh, during the draft this year, and I anticipate that they'll do the, the same going into the 2024 offseason, uh, maybe even during the trade deadline, depending on if there's any teams that might want to trade a lineman if they're you know kind of in tank mode or they're not going to win this year. But uh, And maybe Kenny Pickett's not the guy, but let's be 100% certain he isn't. Because I, I, I've, I've, we've seen 37 games of Matt Canada. It doesn't work. It, it just flat out doesn't work. It doesn't. All right. Terrible towel off for the rest of the show, but very excited. Great win. Long game, by the way. I'm not going to lie to you. For, for a, a 26 to 22 game, you know, it wasn't like it was, it was 50, like the Kansas City game uh, against the Rams, 54 51. It was, that first quarter was, took an eternity. Oh, uh, see, Phillips, Phillips, <laughs> Phillips says, uh, hey, just hire Kellen Moore. He's doing wonders for the Chargers. I'm good. I am, I am more than good, my man. It's, nah, I'm, I'm going to, I'm a pass. That's a hard pass for sure. Uh, yeah, I think the Chargers could not, well, the Chargers are different from the Steelers. Not only do they need an OC, they need a head coach. Tomlin's obviously the guy in Pittsburgh, but yeah, not, not great. Been putting out some Brandon Staley clips today, and I think people are mostly responding well to them, uh, including Chargers fans. All right, to Cleveland, though. My favorite city in America. I, by the way, people that get on me for, oh, you're too hard in Cleveland. I don't, I don't dislike the people of Cleveland. I, I, I don't dislike the people of any city. Well, Philadelphia is kind of close. But uh, overwhelmingly, I, I think people of Cleveland are, are good, decent people just like any other city in America. So I, I got no beef with the people of Cleveland. It is the, the professional sports I don't like. And more importantly, the sort of the attitude in the city toward their professional sports. And that... There's this, and it, it it was tampered a little bit when my heart was split into a million pieces when Cleveland came back from 3-1 on my Warriors. I still have not recovered, and I openly admit that. But every year, the Cleveland fans, oh, you just watch us. You know, Cleveland Browns this year, uh, fans this year, oh, you watch our team coming into this season. Uh, Deshaun's going to bounce back, and we got all these pieces offensively and defensively. We've got Nick Chubb. We've got this offensive line. We like Kevin Stefanski as a head coach. When simply ignoring the fact that, A, they play in the toughest division in the NFL, I still believe, even two weeks into the season when some of the teams that AFC North hasn't looked, haven't looked great. And secondly, they have a bad quarterback. There, I said it. He's not good. Deshaun Watson's not good. Um, so I get he's playing the Pittsburgh Steelers defense. Um, and I get he lost Nick Chubb, which, again, by the way, prayers to Nick Chubb. Just a horrible injury. Uh, again, of course, the Browns announced yesterday he's going to miss the season. I, I remember as a Tennessee fan watching that injury against um, 
uh, as a Vols fan, watching him get hurt uh, on the first play of the game, by the way, with the Georgia Bulldogs with a nasty knee injury. Uh, it's just devastating to see then, even more so now, I guess, because of the fact that you know it feels like he was moving into that spot where we're having conversations. Is Nick Chubb the best running back in football? And he had a compelling case. And so it just sucks to see rooting for him. The Browns did sign Kareem Hunt today. Remember, Kareem Hunt was with them the last few years. It was very successful, knows the playbook. So they get a guy who's very good, very familiar with, with how they do things offensively. So good pickup by Cleveland. Uh, and that, that kid forward, by the way, the, the backup for him, ran for over 100 yards, looked pretty good. So Cleveland's backfield is going to be fine. Not what it was, of course, with Chubb, but it'll be fine. They're not going to be fine at the quarterback position for quite some time because the fact that they, you know, they signed a guy with numerous numerous sexual uh, assault lawsuits um, tied to to his name uh, to a $230 million contract. Not to mention the fact as well that uh, this same Pittsburgh Steelers defense that we all agree is outstanding, is, um, is, is unbelievable. TJ Watt's a monster, right? And he is. All of the above is true. Yeah, Brock Purdy against this exact same defense threw for over 200 yards, had a QBR of 94, couple touchdown passes, and a pass rating of 111. Deshaun Watson, on the other hand, who is making quite a bit more money than Brock Purdy, over 200 yards, but only one touchdown. He threw, he threw the one pick, and his defense was not his fault. But the fumble, the lack of awareness on the left side of the offensive line completely his fault. The strip sack by Highsmith. He had a QBR of 70, which is below average, and a QBR, a pass, I'm sorry, a pass ring of 70, and a QBR 0 to 100 of 16. Not to mention the fact that after the Browns scored their final points of the game, so Deshaun Watson ran an M4 touchdown. Uh, this was early third quarter to make it, it was 22 to 19 at this point. For the record, Pittsburgh's offense did not score after that. Cleveland, eight plays, punt, 11 plays, fumble, five plays, a strip sack recovery for a touchdown, five plays, punt, seven plays, turnover on downs, game over. Kevin Stefanski is a former coach of the year. He's no scrub. He knows how to coach football. They've got Amari Cooper. They've got David Njoku, who had a solid game. The kid Ford, who came in for for, uh, for I'm sorry for Nick Chubb, played very well. The offensive line is top three in the NFL, and it's not even close. They've got the weapons, they've got the protection, they've got the running game, they've got the coach. So who does it fall on? And so to see, I'm not gonna lie, I'm not the type of person who just revels in others' misery. I think you kind of gotta have a little bit of a sick mind to do that. But I gotta admit, I'm gonna make an exception in this case. I kind of revel in it. Not just for Deshaun and the creepy, and that's putting it mildly, behavior off the field, but the Cleveland Browns. Yes, they had a quarterback in Baker Mayfield who I was never a fan of, never bought into. By the way, in defense of Baker, he's playing pretty well in Tampa, but it's only two games in. We'll see. Point is, they didn't think Baker could win for him. Baker played that 2021 season with the shoulder problem. There were some locker room issues. Didn't play well. Browns missed the playoffs after making the playoffs and actually beating the Steelers in that playoff game the year prior. You want to move on from Baker? Fine. That's fine. You have every right to do that as an organization. But you trade for a guy who had not played in a year and a half. We know Russ was going to be a problem. We knew, by the way, injuries were going to be a problem. He suffered multiple major injuries dating back to his days at Clemson. He had not been a part of a winning, 
had of a team with a winning record since 2019. He put up empty stats in 2021 for a 4 and 12 Houston Texans team. And of course, we know the off the field situation which was uh concerning at best. And that's the guy you tied to your franchise when Cincinnati's going out here and drafting Joe Burrow and making him the guy and Lamar in Baltimore is the guy. Again, not just excellent players, but high character guys who the entire locker room respects. And you get Deshaun Watson, who something else too. Cleveland, cold weather city. What do we know about cold weather cities? You got to have a guy with a big arm to, 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 to kind of battle the cold. That's why Aaron and, and Favre were so successful in, in Green Bay. That's why, honestly, and I was never a fan of his, but the last successful quarterback, so to speak, in Chicago was Jay Cutler. Jay Cutler had a monster arm. Now, I had other issues with Jay Cutler in terms of his commitment to the game, but that's another story. He had a monster arm. Josh Allen in Buffalo, big arm. Mahomes in Kansas City, big arm. Deshaun has a uh, okay arm. It's nothing to, to write home about. Accuracy, plummeted. Mobility, plummeted. By the way, he's, he's now a reckless player. It's sort of in, in a similar sense to the way Josh Allen is. Deshaun Watson was called twice in that football game for face mask. Like he's grabbing Steelers, linebackers, and pass rushers by the face mask. He did it twice. Seeing a quarterback called for a face mask is, you never see that. Twice is, I'm not sure it's ever been done before. Not to mention, he also got away with, when he was pushed out of bounds, him and the Steelers, some Steelers players kind of got into it face-to-face, nose-to-nose, whatever, no big deal. Okay, people separate them, you move on. Deshaun is moved away by a referee. He's moved away from the situation. He grabs the referee, shoves him very clearly, and somehow didn't get flagged for it. Like, making any contact with an official intentionally, you know, so, is, is almost always a 15-yard penalty for unsportsmanlike conduct. He didn't just grab him, he pushed him. I mean, it, it, is, it is truly... The fact that this has happened to Cleveland, a historically desperate franchise, a historically poorly run front office... Is, 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 is actually, I, I'm, I'm not going to lie, I'm kind of enjoying watching it. And with Deshaun Watts as well, let's be honest, he's not exactly the easiest quarterback in the NFL to root for in any way, shape, or form. Got to admit, there's a lot of great components to that Steelers win. It was my first win as a Steelers uh, fan, or first win I've ever witnessed as a Steelers fan, and City of Cleveland, the Cleveland sports teams rather, don't care too much for them. But the fact that it came to this franchise with that front office, with this particular quarterback, loved it. Loved every second of it. Cleveland is Cleveland is the uh, the person that keeps getting into toxic relationships and thinks that they can fix the person. Baker Mayfield as a human being nowhere near the baggage of Deshaun Watson. Let's make that let's make that abundantly clear. That, obviously, and Baker's had Baker had his problems, you know, off the field in Oklahoma. It pales in comparison to Deshaun. It does. But notice, twenty eighteen Browns got the first pick in the draft. New front office, but same culture. There was a lot of high character quarterback guys in that draft. Your Lamar Jacksons, your Josh Allen's, and then went with Baker Mayfield. By the way, I'm you know I, I really like Sam Darnold out of that draft. He of course has not panned out into what the Jets hoped he'd be or what the Panthers had hoped he'd be. That's why he's the backup now in San Francisco. But Sam Darnold, high character guy, they take Baker Mayfield, and to replace Baker Mayfield, they go like 15 steps below that 
from a character standpoint, from a leadership standpoint, and get Deshaun Watson. Not going to lie, enjoyed every second of it. Enjoyed every second of it. Truly did. Let's see. Uh, great point here by Philip. He says, I'm glad Deshaun and the Browns aren't doing good. This will go down as the worst trade in NFL history. They're going to be mediocre for the next decade as well. Uh, mediocre, uh, Philip, try for the next, uh, well, uh, immediate future beyond. Because that's that that is that is Cleveland. That is the Cleveland Browns as a franchise. But you make a good point. Worst trade in NFL history. It's it's to me because we talk about man bad contracts in the NFL. Russell Wilson's a horrible contract. Deshaun Watson, of course, terrible contract. Um, Daniel Jones, really bad contract. And Daniel Jones, I, to be honest, I'd take over Russell and over definitely over Deshaun. But Daniel Jones has been to the playoffs as recently as you know nine months ago. Russell Wilson, if it doesn't work in Denver, okay, well, you don't blame the Broncos for making the move. The Broncos had drafted quarterbacks and traded for quarterbacks ever since Peyton. It's like, we cannot get this position right. Let's trade for a guy who has a Super Bowl on his resume, another Super Bowl appearance on his resume, makes the Pro Bowl seemingly every year. I mean, it was at the time, it wasn't a crazy idea. I don't think any of us, even Russell skeptics, could have envisioned it being this bad. Everybody envisioned with Deshaun in 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 Cleveland. It was going to be pretty unsuccessful. Maybe not quite this bad in terms of the regression we've seen from Deshaun. But yeah, I mean today, of course, obviously Burrow and Lamar are head and shoulders above Deshaun Watson. Not gonna lie, I'd take Kenny Pickett today. At least Kenny Pickett has some up to untapped potential. At least Kenny Pickett, you know, we've seen flashes just within the last year of like, okay, there's something there. When it when name the, let's see, we've got. Eight games of Deshaun Watson in Cleveland. Name that big Deshaun Watson game. You're like, wow, that's the guy who made the, who, who we're paying $230 million to. It doesn't exist. <laughs> I mean, and by the way, by the way, so Cleveland, they've got Tennessee next week at home, and then it gets brutal, okay? Then they've got the Ravens, the Niners, the Colts, they should beat the Colts, then at Seattle, it's a road game at Seattle, Cardinals whatever, although the Cardinals are, are, are competing with teams, the Ravens, the Steelers, Broncos, okay, eh, Rams, eh, Jaguars. I mean, they, they've got some brutal games down the stretch here. So, listen, I said from the beginning this is a 7-10 football team. Really like the defense, really like the weapons. Don't trust the quarterback. And because of that contract, they are absolutely trapped. And I love it. They put themselves in this position. They're not going to get any pity from myself, from any of the national media, from any fans, and probably not from that many fans in Cleveland, Ohio. I think even them could see this isn't working. It's just, it's it's a disaster. There's no other way, it's a disaster. No other way to put it. But I did love every second of it, though. I just want to make that abundantly clear. Okay, so this is going to be an interesting episode sorry, not episode, segment of Carving Up the Context. So, again, NBA, the NBA has been relatively, I mean, this is the NBA's probably least talked about time because college football's back, NFL's back, baseball playoffs are about to start in just a couple of weeks. Of course, the day, by the way, Damian Lillard's situation, this, there's some more stuff coming out. It, it, it looks like it's kind of inevitable at this point. I hope it happens soon. I want to see Dame in Miami. I really do. I, I want to see Dame in Miami. Uh, real quick, Phillips says, if I can pull up the comment. Now, if the Browns are horrible, they can't draft high up because the Texans have their picks now. Egg 
Exactly. <laughs> that's what makes yeah. Phillips just adding my argument. It's it's that's what makes it even better. I mean, it's all what it, was it three first round picks? It was three or four, mortgaging their entire future for this guy. <laughs> it's 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 why Houston. It's it's part of the reason I'm like, hey, listen, look what Houston's got. Like they they might be in a position to. I mean, Houston. Here's the thing about Houston, because it's a great point by Phillip. Houston doesn't have their own first round pick like that they initially possessed next year because they traded it to Arizona to get Will Anderson third overall in the draft. But Cleveland might be bad enough. <laughs> It'll end up being a top 10 pick anyway. Like it's, it's listen, Houston, they, I don't see any reason for them to be like in a tank mindset because I think they probably have their franchise quarterback and I really like D'Amico Ryans as a coach and they've got some good young talent there. But even if they were in a, you know, a tanking mindset, it'd be like, eh, I mean, listen, we could, but in the same breath, uh, this this other mediocre team to bad team potentially they got they they we've got their pick, so we're in a win win situation either way. So we ended up with CJ Stroud with their own pick, Will Anderson with Arizona's pick, and we may end up with another good player with Cleveland's pick. So I this is not a statement that rarely comes out of my mouth, but good business by the Houston Texans. Although they're not exactly an organization that's known for getting it right. But not as bad as Cleveland. I mean, they haven't had the sample size because the Texans have only been a franchise for, what, 22 years or so? Still, though. Okay, so now, now to carving up the context. And this is an interesting interesting one. So, okay, let me make sure. Okay, get, get this loaded up. Load management has been a conversation in the NBA ever since... I remember when I started carving it up on October the 21st of 2019. That's when I did my first episode. I remember that that was a conversation even back then. And I I guess that the initial, you know, innovators, inventors, so to speak, of load management were the San Antonio Spurs with with Popovich. They'd sit Tim Duncan or they'd sit Tony Parker or Monty Ginobili or some of the other guys. So they they kind of invented it. Other teams sort of used it. And then when Kawhi Leonard went to the Toronto Raptors, remember they traded him there. We knew Kawhi wasn't going to stay in Toronto beyond that season. They go on. Kawhi, I think, played was it fifty? Was it fifty-eight games? I think it was that year. You know, low managed a lot of games, missed a lot of games. Uh, you know, just sitting out for rest. And Toronto ends up winning the championship. And so there's this discussion like, hey, is this low management thing? Is this is this kind of work? Like, does this you keep your guys fresh? Like, I guess it sort of makes sense. And so it's been. But then there's some plenty of evidence to say, no, it really doesn't impact your, your chance of winning a championship depending on how you use load management one way or the other. But it's been a topic of conversation, players sitting out games, basically rendering the regular season irrelevant, which to me, the regular season was, season was rendered irrelevant when the 73-9 and Warriors didn't win the championship. That told me, okay, yeah, this team went after a regular season record and got nothing out of it. Like that, to me, that's what did it. Low management has just furthered that uh, sort of mindset. But, and we'll go ahead and, and play the Carving Up the Context music, so give me my, my music right now. Here we go. Okay, so, on this week's edition of Carving Up the Context, the NBA, just last week, uh, instituted a new policy regarding uh, rest rules. The Board of Governors, uh, to be specific, adopted a new rest policy that states 
that teams must ensure star players are available for national television and in-season tournament, the new in-season tournament, games, and must maintain a balance between the number of one-game abs- one absences for a star player and road and home games with a, uh, with a blah, 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 beyond that. So essentially speak, uh, saying, in the simplest terms possible, the NBA, NBA teams cannot rest more than one star player on a nationally televised game. They cannot do that. Saying, like, we want as many stars on national TV as possible. Okay, I get that. You you want, when when the Los Angeles Lakers come on TV, you want to see at least LeBron or at least AD. If they're both out, then it because they're resting, eh, not great. But I feel like this is a very flawed way of, of looking at this. It's a very flawed way of trying to address this problem. Because if you look at the true superstars. I'm talking about guys, we we say one name, we know who we're talking about. If I say Durant, you know who I'm talking about. If I say Jokic, you know who I'm talking about. You get what I'm saying? LeBron, obviously. Almost all of the top players in the NBA, the vast majority of the games they miss, I mean the overwhelming majority of the games they miss, is due to injury. And if they don't get injured, they almost always play the vast majority of the games. Jason Tatum, for example, last year, 74 games played. Didn't really deal with any major injuries. He's still relatively young. Doesn't play a, a terribly, uh, you know, like a, that physically taxing of a game. You know, that's not really his, you know, his his mojo. So 74 games played last year, played all the playoff games. He was available. No load management there. Nikola Jokic. Now, he played 69 games, which is kind of low for him because Jokic always kind of flirts with that 82 games played, you know, thing on his on, on his on his resume, on his schedule. 69 games played. He would have played over 70 had the Nuggets not already clinched the number one seed. Well, was it about a week uh, ahead of the playoffs? So Denver, Dem- none of Denver's games mattered the last few games of the season. So Jokic rest them, get ready for the playoffs. Giannis only played 63 games, missed six due to injury. So there's a legit conversation there like, okay, what, what, what about the other games he missed due to, to low management? Here's where it becomes a conversation. Here's where I, I don't think the rule addresses low management in a positive way at all. Kevin Durant played 47 games last year, so barely over half. 30 of those games were due to two separate injuries. He injured... I think it was his leg, or his calf, or something. On I think it was January eighth. It was very early into the new year. He did not come back until early March. Three games into his because he was traded the Phoenix Suns, obviously in the, between that time. When he played with Phoenix, first three games. Remember, he's about to play his first home game against. Uh, I think it was against his old team, Oklahoma City. And he, as my man Barry Grant Jr. said on his show when this happened, tripped on air. <laughs> Uh, twisted his ankle and missed the next, uh, I think it was eight games after that. So he missed about two, three weeks. And then KD, once the Suns clinched the four seed and their playoff spot was locked in, sat the last two. So that's 32 possible games KD would have played. So three games that he sat due to rest. Three out of 82. Steph Curry played 56 games last year. He missed 22 due to injury. Do the math. 56 plus 22, that's 78. He missed four games. Because he rested. Four. So my thing is, if it's just nationally televised games, because that that to me tells me, you know, the NBA talks about, we care about our fans, we care about our fans. Don't let, them, don't let them gaslight you here. The NBA is saying, no, we care more about 
these television contracts because networks like ESPN, TNT, they're getting pissed off with us because all of the, they're marketing these games as like Steph versus Duran or, or Kawhi versus, and they really, let's be honest, the Clippers, this is the only team that this is going to affect in all honesty, but Clippers versus Kawhi versus LeBron and oh, most of the players are sitting. Hasn't the conversation about low management, keeping it completely honest here, hasn't that centered around, from the fan perspective, about the middle class family who, you know, maybe has like like nosebleed tickets that go to like one game a year, a couple games a year, and they see their team play, but they especially want to go that one game where the Lakers are coming into town and LeBron's playing, or the Warriors are coming into town and Steph's playing, or the Bucks are coming in and Giannis is playing. Or the, you know, or the Dallas Mavericks coming in and Lucas playing. So they want to see their team, but they want to see their team against the best players in the NBA. And sometimes these players, because it's the front or back end of a back-to-back, are resting. And so, like, the kid and the family's heartbroken. They don't get to see their favorite player or or, or potentially one of their favorite players because of, of low management. Those aren't all national TV games. By the way, the Warriors... Lead the NBA going into the season. Uh, let me make sure I'm getting this number right. Uh, the Golden State Warriors this season have how many national televised games uh, this season? Hold on, I'm trying to pull it up. I think it's like 41. So like half the season uh, is, is yes, 41 nationally televised games for Golden State this year. That's a whole nother half season. For, again, Golden State is the most. So every other NBA team, every other NBA team, over half their games are not nationally televised. So there's 40-something other opportunities for stars to sit. How does this address load management? To me, what addresses it far more, and props to the NBA for doing this, is like that you got in, if you got to incentivize the players to play the 65-game rule. If you're not aware of what I'm talking about, that the the NBA uh, put, put this, this, this rule in place where uh, players have to play in at least 65 of 82 games in a season to be eligible eligible for postseason awards. MVP, first team All-NBA, that kind of stuff. If you incentivize the players to playing games that, let's be honest, really don't matter that much, maybe that's the avenue to do, and they did. But this sitting for national TV games, to me, a- a- again, the younger superstars... They mostly don't sit out games, especially on national TV. Tatum never sits at all because he's he's still young, he's healthy, he doesn't get hurt. Jokic, the vast majority of the games he sat was because the Nuggets had clinched. I mean, they, they, they got the one seed. Let's let's have our, our best player fresh for the playoffs, and we saw what Jokic did in the playoffs. I mean, the only the only team this is really going to affect is the Los Angeles Clippers with Kawhi Leonard. That's it, and potentially maybe the Lakers with LeBron and AD. And by the way. You guys know I'm not exactly like pro Lakers on the show, although I think I've been probably the most objective, you know, Lakers uh, analyst, so to speak, over the last two years, dating back to 2021. But that's neither here nor there. LeBron may sit. That's one thing. But again, LeBron is you know 38 years old and going into year 21. By the way, gonna be 39 at the end of this year. I think LeBron, given what he's done for the NBA, can sit a game in in Orlando. But Anthony Davis, even. We call, remember Chuck called him, Charles Barkley called him street clothes? I've called him in the past. AD stands for always down. It's not always sitting out. 
AD's healthy. He, he usually plays. Like, that's not really a problem with Anthony Davis. His issue is staying healthy. That's his problem. But it's not, oh, my God, AD's sitting out again. You know, he's still... Not really. I mean, it's, it's really not. Here's to, here's the question to me that should be posed more uh, than the national TV conversation. Why are guys seemingly getting hurt more often? Now, some of it for LeBron, for Steph, it's age. They're, they're going to get hurt more. But Giannis missed time due to injury last year. Now, Giannis plays a physical brand of basketball, but to me, just the national TV component is borderline irrelevant. Matter of fact, I think it is irrelevant. This, this isn't going to all of a sudden fix load management and, and arrest, erase it for good. Again, the Warriors play the most nationally televised games at exactly half the season 41 games. Okay, there's 41 other, other opportunities for if Steph needs an off night to sit out or Clay or Draymond. I, 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 don't, get, I, I, don't, I don't get it in the, in the absolute slightest. It, it's, it's, I, I'm not going to lie to you. I think it's kind of a dumb rule. It is. To me, the 65 games that you need to play to be eligible for postseason awards, way more effective. And it's still, at least what the NBA says they care about, and I love Adam Silver, but just kind of holding his feet to the fire here, is the people, the folks that like, man, we got to see these people play. We got to see these stars play. You know, it's the one time, if it's an Eastern or Western Conference team coming to our home arena, we we, 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 we saved a lot of money for this. Uh, Mom and dad worked hard. Bring the kids and the players out. Well, if that game's not national TV, uh, sorry, you're, the, guy's, the guy's not playing. This rule doesn't address that. I don't know. I, I think there's a lot of flaws uh, in, in how the NBA went about this. A lot of flaws. I mean, we, we can always, I mean, this, this is, you know what, this reminds me of a sense when, when a new president comes in, could be anybody, Democrat, Republican, and there's the occasion where they replace a policy from their predecessor who, probably came from the opposite party just because that predecessor did it. You know, I remember years ago this happened with 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 a healthcare bill like oh just because the predecessor uh because it has, you know, his name stripped to it like you know we're getting rid of it just for that reason. It's like well there's reason maybe reasons to get rid of it just not because that it particular individual did it. You know, it feels like you're just throwing out a solution even if it's not really that much of a solution. That feels to me what the NBA is doing. I don't know how this fixes the load management problem all of a sudden in the blink of an eye. In the snap of a finger. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's just me. Maybe, maybe I'm I'm too skeptical about it, but I, I don't get how this helps the NBA. I, I mean, I don't. Is load management a problem? Of course it's a problem. And of course it's a legitimate concern. Although I would argue there's a few stars. To me, to, there's three superstar level players that to me, I, I don't care how many regular season games they play. I, I don't. LeBron James, Steph Curry, Kevin Durant. What do all those guys have in common? All of them are over the age of, well, one of them is about to join this club soon in, in like literally a couple of weeks. All of them are above the age of 35. Katie's literally about to be 35 in, in days. Happy early birthday, Kevin. Uh, Steph's going to be 36 in March. LeBron is going to be 39 in December. I, 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 do you think the Phoenix Suns care if Kevin Durant plays in, in January or in May? You think the Warriors care, care if Steph Curry plays in November or June? Same with LeBron James. So, again, with those guys, I'm fine with load management. I really am. They've they've had their share of injuries. Their body's getting older. You want them fresher for the playoffs. Now, guys like Giannis, Jokic, Tatum, Luka, different story. Embiid. It's a legitimate conversation with some of these guys, but 
I don't know. I, I just don't think that this this new policy addresses it in the absolute slightest. I really don't. I, I don't see the benefits of it at all. 65 games seems to me way more effective. Way more effective. Because then they, you know, an injury might cost them. Now, of course, that's not going to be like star players going to say, oh, maybe now I won't get injured. Well, injuries happen. It's part of the game. Uh, it's the unfortunate part of the game. Okay. So for this week's episode, for this episode, for this week's segment of carving up the context, Context in this regard is, I don't think this really helps at all. There's still a lot of load management problems that this new uh, policy does not address in the absolute slightest. I don't know. That's how I see it. That's how I had to provide the proper context for this. Okay, but by, by the way, like I said, to, to all of those who have... Uh, subscribe. We just reached uh, 250 subscribers uh, to Carving It Up Live. Put up the graphic right here. 250 subscribers to Carving It Up. So greatly, greatly, greatly appreciate it. Again, we are on the road, hopefully, to 1,000 subscribers. I've set that goal by Super Bowl 58, February 11th of 2024. Hope to get to get to 1,000 subscribers by then. We're you know we're on the on, on the road to doing that. Uh, so everybody to everybody subscribe. Thank you. If you haven't, please you know jo- join the club. Hit that big red subscribe button or that that big red subscribe button right there. Uh, and if if you have, thank you. Tell a friend to tell a friend to subscribe to the show. Here's my man John Rivera, the Fan Perspective Podcast. He's got the pop and the champagne. Listen, we we we'll, we'll definitely we'll definitely oh, I, I can't drink, but we'll have some kind of celebration whenever we get to a thousand. We'll, we'll we'll do something special for carving it up for sure. We'll, we'll do something that in some way involves the audience because you don't get to a thousand subscribers without the audience. You gotta gotta give them props where it's due for sure. Uh, also, speaking of the audience, um, this is a very special week for the Grid Network. It is Grid Appreciation Week, the one-year anniversary of the Grid Network. Uh, again, like I said, it, it's been—I'm uh, proud to be one of the the founding mem- members of the Grid uh, to be a part of it uh, with with some incredible content creators. Obviously, we just had eight o'clock spot once again last night. I'll put up the eight o'clock spot graphic real quick. Uh, if you haven't checked out the show, please do. It's on the Grid's YouTube channel. It's weekly show on Tuesday nights at. You guess it, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific time. It's like a half-hour game show. We talk about sports. We give our takes on sports. Last night was one of the better shows I think we've done just in terms of the competitiveness because sometimes we'll have a winner. Again, that's the beauty of it, too. There is a winner, of course. It is a game show, after all, and we accumulate points uh, over the course of a season, which I think ends during the NBA Finals, so we've got a long way to go to to decide a, a true tournament champion. But for the... For this episode, let's see. We had we had Barry, we had Alfred, Barry Grant Jr. host the Olive Podcast. Alfred Parso Jr., who's a great contributor, and uh, Alex Johnson, AJ, who's uh, part of the Cowboys Cam Fan Podcast here on the Grid. Uh, all three are the part of it. Uh, Alfred won, did a, had a, put up a great performance, great takes all the way around. Uh, but it was nip and tuck. I mean, it was Alfred won wire to wire, but it was nip and tuck down to the final, you know, final round, and Alfred took a. Uh, Took the, took, took the prize, so check out the 8 o'clock spot every Tuesday night, 8 Eastern, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific time, live on the Grid Network's YouTube, as well as uh, Twitter uh, page as well, so definitely check that out, but Grid Appreciation Week, celebrating one year at the network, and uh, or one year of the network, I've just happened to, be, you know, to obviously to be there, so definitely very exciting. Okay. So do we have do we have Bryson's best ten dialed up? Okay, we do. So again, I introduced a couple of weeks ago. I introduced a brand new segment. 
again, I've been doing that a lot, but I promise for the time being, no more brand new segments uh, until, of course, in the future we, we have one. But Bryson's best 10. So this won't just apply to the NFL. It'll apply to anything. Anytime I do like a top 10 list, it'll be officially Bryson's best 10. But because we're in the thick of the NFL season, or really at the beginning of it, Every week, every Wednesday, following the, what, the last game played, which was obviously Monday Night Football, we had two games uh, played the other night, of course, I will rank my top 10 teams in the NFL going into the following week, going now into week three. So this is obviously not a a standings list. So like a bunch of 2-0 teams, Tampa Bay's not on the list. Okay, I, I got to see more from Tampa Bay. Uh, you know, it's, it's not just... Who has the best records and or who had the best week two performance? We go from there. No, no, no. It's an accumulation of what I thought about them coming into the season, how I kind of think about them now, given the first two games. Again, the games, of course, do matter. Uh, you know, if, if they didn't, why play them? So that's what I got. So Bryson's best 10. Let's go and get the background music going right now. Bryson's best 10 for week three going into this NFL season, week three. We will start... And I swear to you, I'm not being a homer with the Pittsburgh Steelers. They are back into my top 10 as the 10th best team in the NFL, and here's why. So, listen, if there was any concern about the Pittsburgh Steelers defense, which if there was after San Francisco, I don't know what to tell you, but that that was erased. Okay, Pittsburgh, the reason I think they might just be the best defense in the NFL is is a part because they have to be. It's a necessity. Dallas could have won their last two games without great defense. They, they, they really could have. The San Francisco 49ers won that game with great defense against Pittsburgh, but didn't have that great of a performance uh, last week. Um, you, you got teams like, say, the New York Jets, who didn't have a great defensive performance against Dallas. It's, there are issues and more on the offensive side of the ball. Pittsburgh is literally having to not just stop teams, not even just take the ball away. They got to score more than the offense. I mean, the Steelers' defense is their offense to a certain extent. At least it was against Cleveland. Uh, it, was, it was unbelievable to watch. Uh, Alex Highsmith's outstanding. Of course, that, that defense starts and ends with T.J. Watt. He's spectacular. I think he's the best defensive player in the league. I picked him this year, before this year, to break Michael Strahan's single-season sack record and win defensive player of the year. Uh, you've got gr- great guys in the back end with guys like Joey Porter Jr., the rookie, who made some nice plays the other night. Minka Fitzpatrick's out. Hopefully he comes back relatively soon. But the Steelers' defense has some great linebackers, great passers pass rushers, and great players of a secondary. And even offensively, again, as I talked about early in the show, the problem is the OC. It's not with the weapons. George Pickens, we saw that 71-yard touchdown against Cleveland, looked excellent. Najee Harris, Jalen Warren in the backfield, kind of a good one-two punch. The kid Watson is really good, really explosive. Kenny Pickett's a bit of a question mark, but again, I want to see him with an actual coordinator before I make like a final call, final judgment on him. And the offensive line does need improvement, but Listen, I take them over Green Bay. They got a better defense in Green Bay, better weapons in Green Bay, and a better coach than Green Bay. And Green Bay is just outside my top 10, but I gave it to Pittsburgh as the 10th best team in the NFL. To number nine, first time appearance on this list for this team, it is the New Orleans Saints as the ninth best team in the National Football League. So I've got New Orleans at number nine for this reason. Of course, they're 2-0. and Of course, they're tied with both Tampa and Carolina. I'm sorry, Tampa and uh, Atlanta at with, with you know first place in the division. What I've been impressed with so far, and it was the biggest thing that concerned me about the Saints coming into the season. I love Derek Carr. You guys know that. I've always been a big Derek Carr guy. They've got the weapons. they got Chris Olave. They've got the, the Shahid kid, I think is what his, his name is. He's made some big plays the last two weeks. Jamal Williams, God bless him, is, is unfortunately out. But Alvin Kamara will be coming back soon. Defensively, we know the playmakers they have there. Here's what I've been impressed with with the New Orleans Saints, not just their 2-0 start. 
it's the fact that they've won two close games. This is an area that the Saints kind of struggled in, especially in some big, big games last year. I remember some games against against Tampa, against, I think they lost a close game to the Minnesota Vikings, uh, who, of course, won a lot of close games last year. Like, this was an area, and to me, it stemmed back to Dennis Allen, and we know what his dubious record was as the head coach going back to his time with the, at the time, Oakland Raiders, and last year as the head coach of the Saints. But I'm loving what I'm seeing uh, offensively, you know, in terms of their late-game execution, in terms of how they could, you know, generate more points on the board. That's a different story, a little bit of a concern, but the defense is playing lights-out football. We'll see. They got a test, obviously, at Lambeau Field against the Packers with potentially Aaron Jones coming back, Christian Watson as well. So they'll have their hands full, and that Packers defense is nothing to, to laugh at either. Uh, but I, I think the Saints are the ninth best team in, in, uh, in the NFL. Uh, Saints at number nine. Moving on to number eight. It is the Detroit Lions. They, they moved down quite a bit here. They were number four last week. They moved down uh, to number eight. A tough, tough loss to the Seattle Seahawks in the sense that they had three extra days to prepare uh, for Seattle. Again, now some of this is Seattle's a really good football team. I had Seattle getting to the playoffs. Seattle's coming off an embarrassing home loss to the Los Angeles Rams in blowout fashion. But it was the, you know, Jared Goff, what's one of the things we said about it? Like the kid, the, he's not a kid, the man does not throw interceptions. And not only did he break his long interception streak, it was a bad pick six. And in considering that the game went to overtime, Seattle, of course, winning, that's rough. I also thought, hey, this is a great Detroit Lions defense. This is a defense that can you know, be able to keep them in some games when maybe the offense doesn't travel on the road in stadiums that are you know, outdoors or on grass, you know, whatever the case may be. You know, the defense was something that could travel. Not really at all. If you look at Seattle's uh, offensive numbers, of course they scored 37 points, including the overtime period. But Geno Smith threw for well over 200 yards, pass running over 100. Part of that's just because Geno's a good quarterback. But they ran; uh, they didn't run the ball terribly effectively. But overall, uh, as a team, had over uh, had over 300 yards uh, of, of offense and made some massive plays uh, in the passing game. That's something that I thought Detroit would have had fixed by now. Maybe they'll get it right in the future. But listen, I still have them in my top 10 because of the talent on offense. The upside on defense, although, as I just mentioned, you're kind of waiting for that to show itself, and they're well-coached. So Detroit has an opportunity to bounce back next week. Who they got in Week 3? They've got the Atlanta Falcons. Okay, that's an interesting one in Detroit. Uh, and they got the Packers four days later on Thursday Night Football. So kind of a quick turnaround for the Lions, but they can really get back up uh, on my list of Bryson's best 10. To number 7, again, this team also fell, but only one spot. It is the Jacksonville Jaguars. So I have Jacksonville... At number seven, again, the only reason they don't drop more than that, given the fact that they only scored nine points in their home field, they played the Kansas City Chiefs, and they played, we're going to have to get used to this because we're this is hasn't been part of the discussion revolving the Chiefs, at least in the Patrick Mahomes era, but Kansas City has a really good defense, if not an elite defense. Given what they did to Detroit uh, in week one, given now what they did to Jacksonville, and to Trevor Lawrence, who I believe personally is the third best quarterback in football, and all the weapons that they have, obviously, with the Jaguars, with Calvin Ridley, Zay Jones, and Travis Etienne, and a solid offensive line. Um, the upside for Jacksonville is, hey, we played Kansas City, they got Kelsey back, we held him to 17 points. So that very much keeps him 100% as a top 10 team in the league. Uh, their inability to score and execute in the red zone is a bit of concern, a, a bit of a concern, but that's something that they, they can fix as time goes on in the regular season. They're well coached. Trevor Lawrence again is an excellent quarterback. Doug Peterson's an excellent head coach. They've got the playmakers offensively. And my concern for Jacksonville is defensively. 
They left Kansas City at under 20. So I'd say that's a, a pretty solid performance on their part. Um, but again, they did lose. They didn't look particularly good offensively. Didn't execute very well. So I'll drop them a spot this week. At number six, a team that goes up a spot from number seven, the Philadelphia Eagles, to me, are the sixth best team in the National Football League. So I know a lot of folks, and I talked about this last Friday after they beat Minnesota on Thursday night. I know a lot of folks weren't terribly impressed with their first two games, given that they barely escaped New England on the road with the limitations they have offensively. And they, I wouldn't say they escaped against Minnesota, but that game was closer than maybe a lot of people felt it should have been, uh, given the fact that they got four turnovers. Here is my takeaway in Philadelphia. They know what they are. They know what they are. Jalen Hurts is is... Not the precision passer that a Mahomes uh, is or a Burrow or, or, or Tua, but he's very mobile. He executes well in, in big-time situations. And, man, Philadelphia can freaking run it down your throat. DeAndre Swift had a massive game against the Minnesota Vikings. That offensive line is still as good as there is in the NFL, even with older guys like uh, Jason Kelsey and Lane Johnson. So you still got some good playmakers there. Uh, sorry, good playmakers. You still got some good offensive linemen there. You still got AJ Brown. I know there's some stuff on the sideline people are worried about. That's fine. It's a good culture in Philly. That'll get resolved. Devontae Smith makes a big plays the passing game. The only reason they're not in the top five, because this is a very talented football team, the back end of that defense really struggles. Last year they struggled against elite quarterbacks. Now they're just struggling against everybody. Mac Jones is nowhere nearly. I think Mac Jones is a backup. Kirk Cousins is far from being a backup quarterback, but I don't think Kirk is elite. He's, I think he's pretty good. He's a franchise-level quarterback. He's not elite. And Kirk Cousins went up and down the field on him. They def- they refused. Some of this, is, again, is, is schematic problems. They refused to double Justin Jefferson when the game got a little tight. So that's my only concern for Philly. But listen, they have an identity offensively and defensively. They're going to win at the line of scrimmage. Eagles are the sixth-best team in the NFL. To the top five now, at number five, it is the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, I hope you're happy, Devin. Here you go. Baltimore Ravens as the fifth-best team in the National Football League. So, again, a lackluster offensive performance in Week 1 against the Houston Texans. You lose your starting running back, J.K. Dobbins, for the season. You're dealing with injuries to Ronnie Stanley. By the way, they're also doesn't look to be too severe, but dealing with injuries to Odell Beckham Jr. With Odell, I'm not really concerned about the injuries. I'm concerned about who it appears he is dating now and the curse that is sort of associated with that. Google at your free... Uh, It is sometime in your free time. But the point is, Baltimore goes on the road to Cincinnati. This is a solid Cincinnati defense. This is a Cincinnati defense that finished the season hot, albeit lost their two starting safeties. But Baltimore, with no starting running back, with Odell going down, still scored 27. Lamar. Need a metabolic reset? Try HealRight Micronutrient Bars. When eaten daily for eight weeks, clinical studies showed HealRight can improve cholesterol, blood sugar, and weight management. And great-tasting Healrite works without additional diet or lifestyle changes or the serious side effects of medications. Visit Healrite.com with code HEAL for 15% off. H-E-A-L-R-I-G-H-T dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. I vastly outplayed Joe Burrow. couple touchdown passes. QBR of 81. Passer rating at 112. Completion percentage very good as well. Again, I have said constantly that the hate Lamar gets in terms of his ability to throw the ball from the pocket accurately and on time and on target is vastly overblown. You look at the stats and you're like, that's one of the best against some of the the, the uh, next-gen stats that the NFL provides. It's like, oh yeah, Lamar's one of the best uh, you know passers in the NFL from the pocket. They just need to get him weapons. 
Well, they did. They got Odell until he got hurt, obviously. They've got Zay Flowers, who's really showing flashes of what I think he could potentially be. They've got Mark Andrews already in the security blanket that he is. He was great, you know, down in... Um, down in the red zone as well. Uh, you got Nelson Aguilar. You got guys like that. So they've got weapons in Baltimore. They've got an excellent offensive line, and that defense is playing well. Didn't look great in the fourth quarter, but overall they've got good playmakers on that side, particularly in the front seven. So Baltimore's going to be fine. Baltimore's a top-five team in the NFL, and Baltimore is, as much as it sickens me as a Steelers fan to say, they are very much a contender in the AFC. I'll tell you who also is a contender in the AFC, and I thought they'd be good. Some people thought they'd be great. These people thus far... Very much look right, and I didn't look, I don't look quite as right today. The fourth best team in the NFL is the Miami Dolphins. Miami moves up a spot. They were at fifth last week, now to number four. Miami's at number four for this reason. So, obviously, they, they come into the season, they dominate the Los Angeles Chargers. It's a poorly coached defense. But what I, what I was impressed with on the road against New England, because, listen, it wasn't a high-scoring affair. It wasn't like Miami dropped 30 or 40 or something like that. It was Miami's ability to do something that they really didn't show last, last year because they were middle of the pack at it, and that's running the football at a very high level with Raheem Mostert. By the way, against a Patriots defense that is pretty good at stopping the run given what they did to Philadelphia the week prior. I'm not shocked with Miami's performance of the defensive side given that Mac Jones is extremely limited and the Patriots wide receivers are extremely limited and frankly the play calling there leaves some to be desired but Tua was efficient. Tua completed you know, about 70% of his passes. Uh, pass rating solid. QBR really good. Uh, but Miami's ability, 30 carries for 145 yards. Uh, that's an average of 4.8 yards a carry. So if that's something that can take the, the load off of Tua when teams are keyed in on stopping Tyreek or Jalen Waddell, if that's something that they can lean on, man, watch out for the Miami Dolphins because they, again, knock on wood. This all comes down to Tua's health. By the way, Miami too as well-coached a team as there is in the NFL. Mike McDaniel, I was dead wrong about this guy. I probably should have seen this coming, given the fact that he comes from the Kyle Shanahan system. Uh, and Kyle Shanahan's the, one of the best, if not the best, at designing run plays. Mike McDaniel has shown that uh, ability as well. Miami Dolphins as the fourth-best team in the NFL. To number three, this team did not move at all, and hopefully their fans won't get mad at me. The Dallas Cowboys at number three. They, they can't get too mad at me. I've as the freaking third-best team in the NFL. They can't get that mad. Here's my thing. So Dallas doesn't move because, frankly, frankly put, I, they, they did exactly what they were supposed to against. We talk about Mac Jones being a limited quarterback. Zach Wilson's not only limited; he's not a in terms of the decision making. He's not that smart of a quarterback, not a person, but a quarterback. Uh, the three turnovers, of course, uh, Micah Parsons was absolutely everywhere. Um, what I was impressed with the most, and I talked about this on Monday show, was Dallas is facing a Jets defense that haven't we religiously stated for. Nine months now, maybe you know, maybe a little less. That man, this Jets defense has some you know great skill position, some great you know uh, secondary players, corners, pass rushers, linebackers. C.J. Mosley and Dak Prescott looked as comfortable as he's looked all season long, really all career long. Not turning the ball over, which was you know Dak Prescott is not a turnover prone quarterback. That was you know one season does not a turnover prone quarterback make. That aside, uh, Dak was accurate. Dak was taking shots down the field. Dak looks pretty mobile. The running game for Dallas looked good with Tony Pollard and with um, who's the other kid? They, the, the backup running back they've got. His name uh, escapes me at, at this moment, but he looks solid. Deuce Vaughn, by the way, too, wasn't who I was thinking about, but Deuce Vaughn looks good. Uh, but this Dallas defense, to me, did exactly what they were supposed to. This Dallas offense, though, very impressive performance, scoring 30 against a great, 
great defense with the New York Jets. Dallas remains where they are at number three. The only thing that separated the Dallas Cowboys from my number two team, the Kansas City Chiefs, is the fact that Kansas City also put up a good defensive performance. Again, Dallas gave up 10 to the Jets. Kansas City gave up 9 to the Jaguars. Is the fact that Dallas faced Zach Wilson and the Chiefs faced Trevor Lawrence. Um... Pretty sizable gap between those two, wouldn't you say? Listen, Kansas City gets Chris Jones back. He made some huge plays down the stretch of that football game. The secondary for Kansas City is good. Executed well late game, particularly in the red zone. Again, some of that was Jacksonville, but some of that we have to give credit to Kansas City. Uh, you know, They're well coached on that side of the ball. And listen, offensively, they we're like, hey... I scored 20 against Detroit, 17 against Jacksonville, you know, averaging under 20 a game through a very young NFL season through two games. But my response to that is, if the concern for the Kansas City Chiefs is, man, they got to get that offense right, I think they'll be fine. I think Mahomes, Reed, they'll get this thing figured out pretty quickly. Travis Kelsey, by the way, finding the blank space in the defense. That's not my line. That's Ian Eagle's line. You get what I'm saying there. Travis Kelsey, by the way, basically confirmed to be dating Taylor Swift at this point by his brother Jason. So congrats to uh, to the new couple. But Kelsey comes back, catches a touchdown pass. You have guys like uh, like Kadarius Tony who got more into uh, the, the passing game, had the fumble, you know, in you know which didn't help their cause to win that football game. But he got five catches. Sky Moore, made a, who I really like, by the way, made a huge catch to kind of put the game away. Kansas City still has a great offensive line, albeit not on the right side with, with Jawan Taylor. Uh, but they do obviously have my man Trey Smith. But listen, Kansas City's got some good, uh, some, good some great uh, playmakers on the offensive side and some absolute dogs on the defensive side of the ball. Kansas City remains where they are at number two, which of course means the number one team, the best team in the NFL, according to me, is the San Francisco 49ers. They retain their spot at number one. So again, not the most impressive defensive performance from the San Francisco 49ers, uh, objectively speaking, against the Los Angeles Rams, who, listen, they did score 30 on Seattle, so maybe we should give the Rams more credit. It is Sean McVay. Uh, but listen, offensively, Brock Purdy didn't play that well. The running game, however, was fantastic. Against a Rams defense that has Aaron Donald, they ran for 159 yards on 28 carries. That's almost six yards per average. Ran for three touchdowns as well. Christian McCaffrey is just a freaking monster, uh, and it is, as I tweeted the other day, it is not fair that San Francisco has Christian McCaffrey with Kyle Shanahan, who is the best run designer in the National Football League. Defensively, they're still excellent. Again, the Rams scored 23. Some of that was on a backdoor cover on that field goal at the end, uh, which was, I mean, you went to about bad beats. Scott Van Pelt, that was, uh, that was not good, but Niners have, obviously, the Giants tomorrow. I'm about to predict that game in just a moment. Uh, they have as, as as loaded a roster as there is in the NFL. They flex their muscles. Again, they have not lost a regular season game since October of last year. They're on a, let's see, they were 4-4 four and four when they lost that game to Kansas City. So, quick, quick math here. They've won 11 straight regular season games. They look as unstoppable as any team in the NFL. Uh, San Francisco, to me, the best team in the NFL. Real quick. Let's look back over, and then I'll get to some comments here. Uh, let's look back over Bryson's best 10. The 10th best team, the Pittsburgh Steelers. The 9th best team, the New Orleans Saints. The 8th best team, the Detroit Lions. The 7th best team, the Jacksonville Jaguars. At number 6 is the Philadelphia Eagles. At number 5, the Baltimore Ravens. At number 4, the Miami Dolphins. At number 3, the Dallas Cowboys. At number 2, the Kansas City Chiefs. And at number 1, the San Francisco 49ers. So if you notice, my top 3 did not change at all. We had some new teams like New Orleans. Uh, Pittsburgh getting back into the top 10 uh, with that defensive performance. Um, looks like we got a trade here. Hold on. This has been brewing for a while. Okay, so just talk, just literally just talked about the Los Angeles Rams. They just made a trade that 
I'm surprised it took this long to make because I figured they'd have made this trade last year given the weird vibes going on between them and this particular player. But the Los Angeles Rams are trading uh, Cam Akers, the running back uh, for them, and a conditional 2026 seventh-round pick to the Minnesota Vikings in exchange for conditional 2026 sixth-round pick. So uh, as far as Minnesota, listen, I have been, when they released Dalvin Cook, to clear some cap space, and Alexander Madison's the starting running back. I'm like, okay, Madison's going to be the guy, but he had the fumble, didn't play particularly well. I still believe in him that he can be a, a lead back for them. But you get Cam Akers, give yourself a little bit of, uh, of insurance in that regard. So, um, yeah, Patrick Brown, there you go. Patrick Brown's in the comments. He said Cam Akers to the Minnesota for a swap of 2026 draft picks. So, listen, Minnesota has some depth to their backfield. Good, good trade for him. Uh, massive game. One of the biggest games in the NFL this weekend is going to be played in Minnesota between the 0-2 Chargers and the 0-2 Vikings. Uh, that, that's going to be a big one. That might be Bryson's bleak bet. It just might be. I'm not sure. I'll have to think about it. But, uh, let's see. Phillips in the comments. I put the Bills over the Saints and put the Saints at 10. That's the only team I disagree with. The only thing, man, I, I do not believe in Buffalo, Phillip. I, I don't. And it's, again, it's... I've criticized Josh Allen for his recklessness. You're like, well, Josh Allen, he was the Offensive Player of the Week. Um, I think he was the Offensive Player of the Week in the uh, AFC. If not, he certainly had a strong case to be that. Uh, played great against the Las Vegas Raiders, but it's the Las Vegas Raiders. I need to see Josh Allen cut back on the turnovers. Oh, the reckless turnover. Because you're a quarterback. You're going to turn the football over. That is That, that happens. That's, that's part of the position. But it's the needless turnovers. It's forcing the ball to spots that, it, that the ball does not belong. Uh, so it's it's... Yeah, it's it's kind of uh it's kind of wild. Let's go. So if he can if he can cut that away, that'll be uh that'll be great. I just seen this headline. This just came across my phone. This says that LeBron James is just two thousand and four points away from scoring the most points in basketball history. Okay, so this is talking about I guess worldwide. So LeBron, of course, we remember that game back in February when he broke Kareem's all-time NBA record for scoring, and he has the, the Michael he broke Michael Jordan's record like six years ago. It feels like a forever ago for the most post for all-time score in the postseason. But so this a Brazilian alleged a Brazilian basketball legend Oscar Schmidt has scored forty nine thousand seven hundred and thirty seven points. Did he play in a Brazilian league? I guess. Uh, he, he broke this, I'm trying to read this article to see when he broke it. Okay. Uh, Oscar Schmidt broke this record in 19, in the 1980s, it looks like. And it, it made the Hall of Fame, made the A. Smith Hall of Fame in 2013. Given this resume, it should have been in sooner. But, uh, yeah, LeBron's gonna break the all-time basketball record, uh, two, he's 2,000 points away so he would, according to this article, he'd have to average 26.7 points per game over a max of 75 games. Braun ain't playing 75 games, but he could average 30. I mean, I don't put anything past LeBron at this point. So either this year or if he plays another year, the year after that. So just, just add to the resume, LeBron. This I, I didn't even know that that was like a like a discussion, but hey, that's fun fact for your Wednesday night. Last segment of Carving Up Live, so... Week two's over. Week three kicks off uh, tomorrow uh, between in the Bay Area. Let's turn the music back on here. Uh, between between the New York Giants 
and the San Francisco 49ers. So, uh, by the way, a lot of injuries that we'll get into in just a moment. But San Francisco goes in this game as 10-point favorites. So, it's as big of a favorite as we've seen from any team thus far in the young season. But... Both teams dealing with some significant injuries. So, Brian Dable announced, the Giants announced, that Saquon Barkley, due to the injury he suffered on Sunday against the Cardinals, uh, Saquon Barkley's out for this game due to an ankle injury. Andrew Thomas, their left tackle, is out for this game, reportedly out for this game. As for the 49ers, their number one receiver, Brandon, uh, or, you know, Debo Samuel, they use him as a receiver as a back. So their true number one receiver, Brandon Ayuk, is a game-time decision for this game. So this can going to be down to the wire whether or not he's able to go. If he is, you obviously assume he's not going to be 100%. So again, both teams coming off of wins the previous weekend. The Giants with one of the more uh, you know shocking, you know impressive wins of the weekend. Down twenty at halftime to the Arizona Cardinals. They come out of halftime, score four straight touchdowns, uh, and then kick a game-winning field goal. So. You know, props to them for their resiliency. We talked about that last night, the 8 o'clock spot. And then as for the 49ers, they took care of business, albeit due to a late field goal with no time on the clock. They didn't cover, but nevertheless, they won that game pretty convincingly. Had a big-time second half, uh, especially as far as running the football uh, against the uh, against the Los Angeles Rams division rival. So, look, this is a... This is a matchup where the Giants' pass defense has really struggled uh, through the you know the first part of the season, especially last week against my man Joshua Dobbs uh, and some a pretty limited cupboard of receivers in Arizona. So listen for for you know for San Francisco, this is an opportunity for I'm sorry for the 49ers offense. This is an opportunity for them to kind of feast on even with or without Brandon Ayuk to kind of feast on the weakness of that Giants' defense. As for the New York Giants' offense, look. A lot of expectations for for Daniel Jones come off last week. Here's what we know about the Snyder's defense. They make even the best quarterbacks look pedestrian. And Daniel Jones, we all know, he, on a pretty regular basis, aside from a crazy comeback against Arizona, he tends to look pedestrian. I think the Snyder's defense is going to feast, going to have a big night, and they're going to win this football game. The the offense is, of course, going to cash as well on a questionable, at best, Giants defense. Uh, San Francisco will win this game 30-16. They will cover the 10-point spread. Uh, They will win this 30-16, remain undefeated at 3-0. I expect a big-time performance from San Francisco uh, against the Giants this weekend. I'm sorry, uh, tomorrow night. And move to 3-0 and kick off week three. So that's what I got. So, listen, both teams missing some key players, but Saquon is more important. I think this goes without saying to the Giants offense than Brandon Ayuk is to the to the 49ers offense. They still got Debo, still got Kittle, still got McCaffrey, and they still got my man, Sturdy Brock Purdy. And a great offensive line, of course. The Giants still have a killer pass rush. So I'm rolling with San Francisco. By the way, then we'll get out of here. I think I talked about this on Monday's show. Again, like I said, real quick, and then we'll then we'll call it a show. But um, this is an amazing college football weekend. Uh, amazing college football weekend. So we've got uh, UCLA, Utah, Ole Miss, Alabama. We got Oregon State, Washington State for my Pac-12 fans here. We've got this, the big one. By the way, Iowa, Penn State as well. I got Penn State big in this one. Uh, they definitely covered the 15-point spread. Uh, Ohio State, Notre Dame is the big game, prime time on NBC. Ohio State's a three-point road favorite. I actually kind of give Ohio, uh, Notre Dame a shot because Sam Hartman, I think, is a, a pretty solid quarterback. But the one I think everybody's talking about, I think the one that's going to get the highest TV rating. By the way, um, I think I saw, I think uh, Colin Cowherd said today that... The Colorado-Colorado State game this past Saturday 
wild game went to double overtime. There's obviously game day was there and Fox's kickoff show was there. There's a lot of hype. And it was the most streamed game in ESPN history. A 10 o'clock kickoff. I mean, or East Coast 10 o'clock kickoff. And by the way, the game ended, listen, the game ended into the wee hours of the morning on the East Coast. It was like freaking 2.30 when the game ended. I was, you know, a lot of sleep deprivation uh, for yours truly. But even on the West Coast, it's like 11.45. Like, it's not exactly, you know, bright and early, so to speak, and, and, you know, in terms of when that game ended. So, you know, it was, it was an unbelievable matchup. But Colorado's going on the road to Oregon to take on the Ducks. Uh, Oregon is a 21-point favorite. That if it were at fifteen, I'd probably take Oregon. I think Oregon's going to win it by about. I'll have a final score tomorrow: sixteen points, seventeen, maybe twenty-one. Feels like a lot for an Oregon team that barely escaped Texas freaking Tech. But I'll say this: if Travis Hunter was healthy, I'd give Colorado a puncher's chance. Uh, but just as top to bottom, Oregon. I'm sorry, Colorado's offensive line is not good. It is the weakness of that football team. Shador Sanders is running for his life a lot. Now without Travis Hunter, now they have Dylan Edwards, they have Weaver, they have um, Horn Jr., the son of the you know the great you know Saints receiver. So again, I still think Colorado matches up better with USC. I'll actually give them a legitimate chance to beat USC next week. But I think Oregon. I'll take Colorado plus twenty one today, but I, I don't. I do think Oregon wins uh, straight up. So there you go. Some 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 betting advice for you. It's not my official betting segment. Not it's not if I were a bet man, but it's still it's it still works. All right, that is all the time we have for today's show. Appreciate everybody stopping by as always. Be sure to catch Carving It Up Live on Friday at six p.m. Eastern, three p.m. Pacific time, right here on uh, the Carving Up YouTube channel, Grid Network YouTube channel, and the Carving It Up uh, Twitter handle, or uh, my Carving It Up Twitter handle, of course. And be sure to like, to share, to comment, and to take two seconds out of your day. Hit that big red subscribe button. Helps the channel grow exponentially. Again, put up the graphic one more time. We have we have gotten to two hundred fifty subscribers. So a quarter to a thousand which is our goal by Super Bowl 58 so thank you so much to all those who have subscribed we actually this happened during the show today which is very special so thank you thank you thank you to everybody who has subscribed uh, and hopefully uh, you know to those who continue to subscribe so if you have tell a friend to tell a friend about it uh, to subscribe to Carving It Up Live we're going to try to get to a thousand by Super Bowl 58 in mid-February so we're going to try and do that of course be sure to go subscribe to the Grid Network that is G-R-Y-D the Grid Podcast Network Network, uh, right here on YouTube as well as any and everywhere you get your podcasts, uh, be it Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, any and everywhere you get your podcasts, especially given the fact that it is Grid Appreciation Week as we celebrate one year of the Grid Network. Again, very blessed to to have been here uh, for that entire year. We've added some incredible new faces, uh, and, and the ones that have been there since the beginning have just gotten better and better. So uh, we're growing as a network. We're building uh, eight o'clock spot. Obviously, kind of like the sort of kind of like the, the the uniting grid show because we get everybody from different shows uh, on that platform every Tuesday night at eight p.m. Eastern, five p.m. Pacific. So definitely, uh, be sure to tune into that. The best game show in sports. Very, very excited. So great appreciation week. Definitely tune into all of our grid shows and what we, we may have some special content coming uh, you know, in store for y'all. So definitely stay tuned for that. All right. I'll see y'all on Friday. Please, uh, thank you so much for watching the show. Please be sure to stay safe out there. Be sure to take care of your physical and mental health. Uh, and of course, be sure to contact your local state representatives and senators to demand change for gun violence in America. Gotta have that. Gotta, I don't care if you're wearing suits or not. Okay. Gotta get that, gotta get that fixed. All right. See you on Friday. A lot of college football. Vol View on Friday, by the way. NFL predictions on Friday. React to Giants and Niners. 
Give me a jam-packed show. Maybe we'll have a guest. I don't know. Maybe we'll get a guest on the show. We'll see what happens. But have a great week, y'all. See y'all on Friday's show. God bless you all. Peace out. And by next show, can we fire Matt Canada, please? Thanks so much for watching the show on YouTube. And be sure to go click that big red subscribe button and check out the other clips and full shows from Carving It Up Live as well as our other incredible content creators here on The Grid Network. Picture yourself wrapped in its softness. Whether you're enjoying a captivating TV show, gathered around a crackling campfire, or cheering for your favorite football team, Minky understands your fall cravings. Our blankets are tailor-made for those heartwarming autumn vibes. With a variety of colors, they're perfect for complementing the hues of fall, as well as showing off your team pride with their vibrant team colors. And the best part? We've got sizes for the whole family, ensuring that everyone can experience the joy of cozying up in Minky's embrace. This fall, let Minky be your companion in creating unforgettable moments. Wrap yourself in comfort, share love, and relish the essence of the season. Minky Blankets, where warmth meets love in every color for every moment. Fall into one of our Minky Couture stores or visit us online at minkycouture.com.